Here we go. The Earthbox Podcast. Welcome to the Earthbox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. Well, there's so much happening. We have so much to talk about. I don't really like doing uh, what cold intros or, or whatever you would call them. I, I think I've mentioned it before. I like to be surprised. But there's, there was a huge election in Argentina. There's huge protests in Spain. Elon Musk is going nuclear on this like fact-checking media conglomerate uh media matters who i mean for fraud and like the attorney general of texas is getting involved and doing criminal investigations and then truth social you know donald trump's uh like twitter clone uh they've also launched i mean i don't i don't think they're joining but they've launched a suit i guess against their you know they're naming like 20 defendants um, and I would, I'd really be surprised if uh, this propaganda outlet Media Matters isn't one of them. But uh, 404 is making his return, return journey to his homeland. And you're in Germany now. How's it all been going, man? Yeah, it's been going pretty good. I'll tell you what, though, like the drivers in Germany, they're fucking nuts. You know, they are crazy. So they drive, I mean, it's, so what we, what would you call it? Uh, left-hand drive for, for American cars and, and it's right-hand drive in the UK. Is it the same all, all across Europe? Are you getting into any situations where you have to, you find yourself drawing on the quote wrong side of the road? Uh, no, it's everything here is just like the U S. You know, it's only, I, I believe there's only a few Commonwealth countries that are, that are right-hand drive. Uh, you know, Australia, Japan, the UK, and there's a few other ones. But no, all of Europe is, is, um, is left-hand drive. Well, the UK, I, wait, I thought you guys, I thought you guys drove on the opposite side. Yeah, we drive on the left. I mean the car itself. Sorry. Oh, 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 I mean yeah, yeah, car, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, you're right. That's, that's fair. And that's my fault, because I started out talking about. Which side the steering wheel is on? <laughs> but what's uh, what's the deal with Germany? Oh, it's just it's just great, man. It's just really great. But I tell you what, the uh, uh, like the speed limit, the speed limit is like eighty-one miles an hour. Um, oh, right, the autobahn. Yeah, so it's it's not even the autobahn. The autobahn, like some of it, is unlimited. You know, right, right. Um, but even even on the eighty-one mile an hour parts, like it's not necessarily the speed. But it's the it's the attitude of some of the drivers. They drive so close to you when they're overtaking you. Like they'll just as soon as they get like an inch past you, they just cut right in. And it's like, you know, you're you're going pretty fast. And but the roads themselves are amazing. And the scenery is just unbelievable. I mean, Germany is by far one of the most beautiful countries I've ever seen. How have you been how have you been occupying yourself what's what's sort of the goal are are you just uh full-on adventuring around and seeing what there is to do and just kind of acting on impulse or 
are you making plans and seeing sights? Um, well, I definitely made more plans on the way up uh, to Denmark. And I saw a lot of sights and things. On the way back, I'm sort of playing it by ear. Today, I stopped over in a village I don't even remember the name of. And um, just took some really cool pictures. I got my camera equipment with me and I'm taking loads of pictures and I'm just having a really good time. And on the way back, I'm having to cover more miles than I were per day on the way up I did two weeks ago. So at the moment, I'm just trying to do as many miles as I can until I get to Dunkirk in France, where I'll spend probably two or three days there. Are you ready to be back? Or are you just soaking it up? I'm soaking it up, man. I'm, you know, it's uh, it's really peaceful out here. The UK is so fast, you know. If it, and anyone that has lived in a, you know, very urban sort of like country or a city, understands what that means. You know, everything is just about the, the rat race. You know, but you go to somewhere like Skagen, Denmark, which is a very small seaside town, and you just feel like okay, nothing really matters that much. It's just a a uh, very environment uh, and, I, and I like it and it's I think it's going to be a little bit tough coming back to more of a busy environment yeah when I was uh so I'm I'm once divorced I got I got married uh pretty young and it didn't work out and I uh I moved in with a buddy of mine uh just while I kind of got back on my feet because, you know, you, you split up with a girl that you lived with and that's uh, <laughs> creates an interesting situation for, you know, something like living in your car or, you know, fortunately, I had a friend with a couch to crash on and he lived in the city in downtown Portland. And I always thought because I grew up out in, you know, rural, you know, I lived on a ranch and uh, I always thought, oh, this is. You know, the, the, it's a total grass is greener on the other side dynamic. Like, I, I live out in the country. It would be so much better to live in the city. Well, I got to live in the city for about three weeks. And I was looking at apartments. I was going to get some kind of, you know, high rise studio. And then I started thinking about, oh, I got to. I got to pay for parking or I got to do this every night as I was coming home from work to, you know, crash with my buddy. I'm driving around three different blocks just looking for a place to park my car. And that was bad. That was basically all it took. I was like, all right, no, this is bullshit. How can people live like this? I'm not doing it. And I found myself a little house out in the forest to, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's single life is, I don't know how people stand it to be honest. You're just like constantly going, Oh, I gotta go. I, I gotta go to the gym. I gotta make dates. I gotta get out there and mingle. And it's really miserable. I don't <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't envy. Yeah, it can be very tough. Anyone trying to, uh, all right, so, so personal question time. And uh, if you don't want to talk about it, we'll just edit this out. Sure. How, sure. how is your 
relationship with your lady? Oh, so um, I think we broke up back in August. Oh, um, snap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm single right now, man. I'm single right now. So, Look out, ladies. You know, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You know, so I'll accept your applications by post or email. You know, don't all come at once. Yeah, go to Vox404.com. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any interesting encounters since you've been on the road? Uh, there's been a, you know, there's been a few, there's been a few, um, you know, but, uh, you know, luckily everyone understands English. That makes my life a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you looking, I mean, are you like, are you really looking or are you just kind of like whatever happens, happens kind of mentality? Uh, whatever happens, happens, man. I'm, I'm moving country in a year. So it's like, you know, I don't right, dude. To... Oh, I, I was so I was, uh, you know, listening back. I was quality control, listening back to the the previous <laughs> podcast, and I totally missed it when you said you're moving to Canada. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to the land of the left instead of the land of the free. The land of the left. <laughs> I know. I I want to be like, uh, you know, sort of negative and pessimistic about it, just like from a political standpoint, but I can't help but be excited because we're going to be neighbors. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We could do the show in the same time zone. Live shows, dude. Okay, so I was thinking, and this is a total pipe dream, yeah. but this is just how, how my, my mind works. It would be so excellent to do a live show where we begin with a podcast and then myself and my theoretical music group would do a performance and then cap the night off with a sort of rave house DJ show hosted of course, or, or, or headlines by the one, the only 404 missing link. Uh, that'd be so sick. That'd be freaking <laughs> that'd excellent. Be like, be like a smorgasbord of all our talents in one go. <laughs> yeah, and then and we, you know, donate the all the proceeds to charity or something after we paid ourselves, of course. <laughs> of course, of course, yes, of course. You gotta, we gotta cover our nut, you know. Have you ever, have you ever done event planning? I love it. If there was any way to transition into that that kind of thing it's just i mean I, i'm sure you have or experienced some of the elements of the satisfaction of sort of bringing a plan together just as a as a business owner but uh yeah yeah of course from booking shows for years and years and years having everybody on the same plan and having everything scheduled and then having everything executed is or, you know, like executed successfully is extremely satisfying. It's also a little bit stressful, but I think that's part of what made it satisfying. Because now that I'm not a touring musician, I am. I mean, I, I, I kind of realize like what a life of misery <laughs> it was at the time. I still loved it. But there was something about the just sort of relief 
after the successful execution of a show that made me kind of wonder, like, is it really worth all the stress? And then like packing all the gear, like you got to get all the gear packed up and then you're traveling hours and hours away from, you know, where, whatever home base and the, just the constant dread of like, oh my God, did I forget something? What did I forget? If it's forgotten, what am I going to do? And in years ago, like at the dawn of my musical career, my band went and played a house party. And through the coordination of the event, we were told, uh, no, we're, we're going to have a, a PA, you know, personal amplification for the vocals. So you don't need to worry about any of, any of that. And so we come, we get out there to the show and, you know, probably 50 miles from our rehearsal space. We get there to find out, oh, there's no microphones. Oh, what, you guys didn't bring your microphones? Well, why didn't you bring your microphones? You should know to bring your microphones. So we travel all of this distance and then we don't even get to play because the, the other band actually wanted to start a fight and almost did. I don't know. There was a fight between our bass player and some other guy that may or may not have been in regards to the microphone situation. But it was just a total disaster shit show. When's, when's the last time you played out? When are you going to play out again? Um, so I think the last time I played out was 20... Oh, it was earlier this year, actually. It was in a... Yeah, it was earlier this year. It was in a local uh, sort of club. Do you feel like it's... Playing out. Do, do you feel like it's getting overrated? Um, I definitely feel like the, just the idea of playing out, you know, has, has, has become overrated to me and I, and I would much rather just play out at places where I want to play out or do gigs that I feel like are worth my time. Rather than like um, trying to I, book a tour. Yeah. Ra- rather than just like doing the local thing or whatever. Cause you know, I've seen, I've got a lot of friends that are local that are musicians or DJs and they're doing the same thing that they were three years ago and they're not moving. Yeah. And yeah. Mean, meanwhile, I'm doing my thing. I'm not playing out and I'm getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, right. Top 10 point, podcast then, in 13 countries. That's uh, right. It, pretty fucking successful, mate. <laughs> it, it sure is. It sure is. You know, I'm like top 10% in, you know, in, in podcasts globally. Um, so it's just like, you know, it's a matter of time until I start playing out at, so the real big clubs and um, it's know, called uh, sort of set up for that missing link on the radio. If you want to check it out. That's right. Yeah, for sure. But I always thought, and this so, was yeah, yeah. One, one of the things that sort of drove me off of my, uh, from my last band, my last musical effort was that I, I thought that our time would be better spent and tell you, tell me if you agree with this, I kind of cut you off in your story. But I thought all of this work to pack up the gear and drive an hour to the nearest club to make 50 bucks to, I mean, that's not each, that's like, that's 50 bucks for the whole gig, $10 a guy, thanks for coming out, uh, kind of a deal. It was just like a 
tremendous waste of resources. And I thought we should be in this digital age. We should be writing, recording and releasing singles instead of trying to write an entire album. Then record, produce a music video or some kind of visual aid to go on YouTube and have just 90% online presence, 10% live presence. Because it just feels like that is where media is going. Like it's all online. People listen on their phone. People scroll TikTok. People are on Facebook. If you're putting your stuff in front of them, then you don't have to be in this rat race where everybody buys an 18 passenger van and a 12 foot trailer and just lives on the road and eats ramen noodles every night for three months coming back to no employment, uh, maybe somewhere to live. If your mom happens to live in the same town (laughs) that your band does, I mean, what do you, you must be on that side of the argument because that's literally what you're doing. Yeah, I I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it was more difficult for me to do the live thing, particularly because the type of music that I was into had a very niche market at the time. And the kind of gigs I was getting was more commercial stuff, you know, and I would try and play some of it, but it, it just wouldn't go over. It's the wrong kind of crowd. And, you know, that crowd just didn't exist in, in large numbers in the local scene or in scenes, you know, further afield apart from maybe London or the Netherlands or Germany. Uh, and so, being online allows you to target that niche majority, you know, minority of people that really like something. Um, and then from there, you can grow with it as you ride the wave. And then it becomes, you know, more of a, a larger thing. So that's the real attraction for me to, to doing a lot of stuff online, because then that transitions into the live shows, which is where all the money is still today, you know, is, is in events and live shows. Um, so I think that's that's where I stand on that. It's it's good in, in both ways. But you're totally right though. The rat race is crazy and everyone's fighting for airtime. You know, everyone wants to be doing something different or putting out content and making sure that their content is being seen above and, other people's content. And there's still the gatekeepers. There's still the, you know, like in Hollywood and the music business, I mean, they make movies about it. You know, being that you have to pass below, you know, under the view of, of these people that, you know, the, the arbiters of media that say, I mean, it's like in popular music, even today, a song comes out and it's played every, you know, fourth song on the radio over and over and over again, that you, they're just hitting you over the head with it. And it, it's, it's the same, I mean, for me, it's always been the same pattern. The song comes out, oh, it's not very good. Or, or even this song sucks. And, but you can't escape it because, you know, it's, it's playing over the radio at work. And you hear it five times every hour. And then after a few hours, you go, hmm. 
well, this isn't really that bad. <laughs> and then a few more hours go by and you go, Jesus Christ, this song again. I can't stand. I, I, and I've had, I've had bands completely ruined just from hearing their one hit over and over and over again. But I, I mean, I, I really can't hate on them that much because they've, they've reached that level of success. Whether I think it's good or personally or not, they've still made it. And I mean, and that's like, that's my rock star dream, man. Like, to just be not even rich and famous, just successful enough to not have to keep going to work. But it really doesn't matter how talented you are when there's these gatekeepers, but they're, they're losing control. And now it's, it feels like globally the tide is really starting to turn because it, it, it feels like, so, so I'm, I've been identifying this strange anomaly. I mean, maybe it's not, it, well, you'll have to tell me. There's been this controversy with one of the judges in New York that's covering or that's, you know, uh, uh, overseeing one of the many cases involving Donald Trump. And this one in particular was how he uh, allegedly, according to these crackpot legal theories, he overvalued his property to the banks when they were loaning him money. Which is totally, I mean, he wasn't allowed to present a defense. It's, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a sham trial. It's a miscarriage of justice. But the controversy has been how partisan, how openly partisan this judge has been. To the point where I'm looking at it going, what? I mean, this is, this is so obviously inappropriate. It's so obvious that this judge is a partisan hack. Incapable of, of setting aside his own bias. He's even been recorded in other situations. Claiming that it's hard for him to set aside his emotions. And he's making rulings in this case with his clerk sitting on the bench next to him. It's highly irregular. And they're passing notes back and forth to each other. And the thing about this clerk is that she's been trying to win an election as a judge or earn an appointment as a judge for I don't know how long. But as we've talked about on this show before, when it comes to political appointments, these people that are looking to be appointed, they try to play partisan games to catch the attention of politicians that they believe might appoint them to this political position or this judgeship at some point in their careers. So Trump 
And his lawyers have been saying, wait, what's, what's going on here? What's the deal? And pointing to all of this partisan and like this, this judge's wife is posting anti-Trump memes on social media. And, and I mean, this, this doesn't mean, I mean, that on its own, in my opinion, doesn't mean that this judge is incapable of being fair. But all of these different bits of evidence are painting this really broad and obvious picture that this judge is a partisan hack. And I go, why, how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is it so out in the open? Why is it so obvious? I mean, do, do these people, I mean, these aren't dumb people. They're very intelligent. I don't know. I don't, I don't, know. I don't really know what's going on. And I think at this point, um, I'm, I'm not really paying attention to this case because I just, I believe there's too, too, there's too many weird things happening. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that we'll see what happens at appeal because I think the decision is obviously going to go one way. Um, but right. And, then, and that's, and, then and that's exactly the appeal call really. That, that's exactly my point. Like all of this. So the ultimate goal, right. By the left is put Donald Trump in prison. And, and any other number of lawfare things that they can do to try to prevent him from being elected president again in 2024. But the blatant partisanship, the trampling of his rights, like all of these things that they're doing to basically guarantee that it's going to go to appeal and get overturned. I mean, there's judges ruling in separate appeals on, on different rulings that this judge has made. Three judge panels looking at these things that the judge has done and saying, no, no, this, you can't, like, what, are you crazy? This is, like, are you, are you trying to commit career suicide here? Like, we're not going along with this. This is nuts. Overturned. You can't stop Trump and his lawyers from talking about your inappropriate relationship with your clerk who has been, I mean, and this clerk is also on, on camera, like, trying to cozy up to other Democrat senators. It's so blatantly obvious, it almost feels deliberate. And it's the same thing that I, like, it's the same sort of head-scratching that I'm doing with this Media Matters story. So Media Matters, uh, George Soros-funded propaganda outlet, they, they've, uh, they call themselves on their website something to the effect of a uh, uh, media organization focused on online activity and uh, uh, debunking misinformation spread by conservatives. So they're admittedly a partisan fact-checking group uh, that is looking to advance a leftist narrative. They've been working overtime to scare investors and advertisers away from Twitter. And they got caught doing some really shady shit. Basically what they did was they created, I think it was three different accounts and they followed the major advertisers on Twitter. And then they also followed a bunch of far right radicals that were posting unsavory things. And what they were doing in all of this 
is trying to create an environment in their own feeds where they would see something that the left would generally consider anti-Semitic. And I say that the left would generally consider anti-Semitic because, as we all know, the left is a bunch of friggin' wackos. And everything that you could say is potentially offensive or anti-Semitic or racist or misogynistic or on and on and on. Anything potentially offensive. Now, this is fraud, what they're doing, because they're taking these screenshots of this questionable, you know, free speech next to these advertisers' ads, then going to this company and saying, look, look what radical Elon Musk and Twitter are, are uh, you know, perpetuating online right next to your ads. Is this the kind of content that you want being showed to your ad? And, and it's, the thing is, it's completely fabricated. But what I don't understand is how they thought that they could get away with it. They're on, they're on Twitter. They're on Twitter doing this with all, all of this data. Like everyone at Twitter can see what they're doing. And I know I keep calling it Twitter over and over again until it's twitter.com or until it's x.com. It's going to be Twitter to me. So my apologies to any of you out there who are outraged by my continual calling at Twitter, especially Elon Musk. Get over it, bud. But get after these lawsuits. I mean, I mean, what do you make of this? Like, you know, from a data perspective, mm -hmm. yeah. they, they can't hide their fraudulent activities from the person who is now suing them for it. No, not really. And I mean, it, it this this is many layers to it. You know, not only is the death, the defamation layer, but there's also the layer of lost uh, revenue because of this. Um, so it could potentially be quite a large case. My uh, initial my initial feeling is that this is more like a, sort of like, um, you know, this new wave of activism we have now, where people put themselves in the street and decide that they're going to do things like a suicide bomber does, where they they do things even though they know there's consequences for doing that. And I believe that this is probably along those lines where they probably knew they were going to get caught, but they thought that the, you know, common good of eradicating, you know, Twitter's revenue stream by making, making it out to be some far right thing would be some sort of common good for the world. And they're willing to take on the, the responsibility and all the consequences, especially since they can hide behind the fact that they're a, they're a limited company. So, they they don't really hold any personal liability for it themselves. So really, it's right. It's a, it, it, they can't lose. They can't lose. You're you're yeah. You're you're right on the. Uh, I I've even learned recently that in the uh, in the criminal proceedings, since Media Matters is a five hundred one c three charity, uh, they can't actually be sued as a or or be charged as a company criminally. So it would just be the people that were actually involved in the fraud themselves that could potentially be criminally charged. But then we're talking about the justice system, and I start to get a little bit blackpilled. But Media Matters itself, I think, only had uh, $11 million. I mean, only, but, you know, <laughs> in, in, the, in the corporate world, 
$11 million of revenue is not really that great, especially not when you're talking about people like George Soros and Bill Gates and, and Elon Musk, you know, mega billionaires. They keep $11 million rolled up in their sock. So I think you're 100% correct. Media Matters could go away and they would just start another company. But I think that's also part of the motivation with the criminal charges. I just don't think those criminal charges are going to stick. And there are, unfortunately, uh, there's a full stable of, of libtards that want to step up. And, you know, they've, they've, oh, all, yeah, they've, sure. they've got these... Uh, <laughs> They've, they've got these illustrious uh, journalism degrees from Ivy League schools. They're chomping at the bit for a chance to take down, you know, Donald Trump or Elon Musk or anybody that, that stands up against this leftist socialist movement, global movement, like Javier Malay, the new uh, libertarian psychopath that. <laughs> That's that's just oh yeah yeah won yeah the election the new, um, in Argentina you know, he's, the, <laughs> he's incredible it's he is incredible he is simultaneously the funniest and also strangest guy I think I've ever seen in politics um, he had a dog called Conan and he said that um, Conan said to him and this is the dog the dog said to him that he should <laughs> run for president. And that's why he ran for president. Um, and the, the, the dog died. So he had it cloned four times through DNA cloning. And now he has four of them. And every time he wakes up, he listens to what his dogs have to say. And, and then he, um, he, he makes his policies um, for, oh, that's <laughs> for what brilliant. he's going to do. He's got, it's, it's, it's amazing. And his campaign featured around the fact that the government was too big and he wanted to make cuts. And any time he would go out campaign, he would bring a chainsaw with him and rev the chainsaw up saying he was going to cut everything down. Well, because as we covered, our Argentina's inflation was like at 120%. Just crazy oh yeah, it, insanity. It's 150 now. And the, the, uh, his opponent in the election was like the former finance minister. The... Basically, the guy responsible for all the problems that Argentina was having was his opponent, which makes me a little bit skeptical about the, uh, I don't want to say legitimacy because damn it, I want to have, I want to have faith. All right. I want to be optimistic. I want to feel like the people of Argentina spoke and said, we're tired of this bullshit. We want this crazy guy who here's an interview. You can't give shit leftards an inch. And then she says, can you define shit leftists? All collectivists. All kinds of collectivists. But why do you call them shit? Because they are shit. They will kill you. This is the point. You can't give shit leftists an inch. If you give them an inch, they will use it to destroy you. You can't negotiate with leftards. You don't negotiate with trash because they will end you. If they, the left, have a guy that beats his wife off, 
If it's one of them, he puts on the green scarf and yells about neoliberalism all the time, and they hide it. If suddenly there's a journalist that molests another journalist, they hide it. When it's one of them, they hide it. They hide all of those aberrations. Now, if you're on the other side, they will ruin you. They'll kill you. They will throw you everything. They don't care if they ruin your whole life. Why? Only because you don't think like them. And do you know what's the good part in all of this? Because since to err is human, since everyone can be mistaken, they force us to be better. And since we are getting better than them, since we are crushing them in the cultural battle, we're not only superior economically, we are morally superior. We are aesthetically superior. We're better than them at everything, and that triggers them. And since they can't beat us with real arguments, they just use the repressive apparatus of the state with loads of taxpayer money to destroy us. And yet they're still losing. They had to remove the blacklist. You understand? They're losing. They're desperate. Shit leftists are losing the cultural battle. For the first time ever, they are cornered. Those shit leftards. <laughs> oh, he's, he's speaking the language of, well, the language is Spanish, but the spiritual language is that of many of us in the West. Don't you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I feel like there is no real serious libertarian voice here in the West. Um, I don't believe I've heard anyone talk about radical cuts in any description. The closest we've got in the UK was Liz Truss, and sh she wasn't really quote-unquote libertarian because she just wanted to spend money and cut taxes so it's a little bit weird yeah but, um no i you know i think if we had someone like javier Millet uh that wasn't completely insane uh in his head but had the same sort of policies i think uh i think would be onto something really interesting um wh what i find is going to be just super uh interesting is just how it's going to play out in um, Argentina. I do believe a lot of the ideas he has are going to work or are going to significantly change the economic prospect of Argentina. Um, but it's it remains to be seen. Well, I've, days. I've heard it described like the problem, the problems that Argentina has that's kind of pushed them toward this radical extremist is uh, what the, what's being described as is an EU style of government, which is uh, bloated, wasteful, uh, just print and spend and print and spend. And I don't know if you would ag agree with that assessment of of the govern the the EU governing sort of mentality. Uh, but he is it, it, it's really surprising for a number of reasons. You mentioned Liz Truss. She was, how long was she your prime minister? 30 days, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, man. Hey, I, thought it was, I thought it was at least three times that. I was, <laughs> I was not prepared for that No, answer. it was very, very short time. Oh, very man. short time, yeah. Um, but she was, I mean, and this was, she was huge in the conspiracy uh, circles. Because 
this, uh, you know, Liz Truss was the prime minister, as you know, around the time of the Nord Stream pipeline bombing in the, uh, in what sea? The Bering? Why, why do I want? No, Bering's not. Uh, the, uh, the Baltic Sea? Is it there the it is. One? I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. Well, it was extremely controversial because we learned through whatever means that Liz Truss sent a text message to Anthony Blinken, the American Secretary of State. It's done. Something like two hours after the Nord Stream pipeline was bombed. Which sort of suggests to me some sort of intelligence operation with Liz Truss and now I don't I I don't want to suggest that intelligence uh apparatuses agencies are controlling UK politics but it has been suggested in the context of Javier Millet that there may have been some involvement because Javier Malay wants to move, or, or it, it's a little bit more complicated than this, but he basically wants to put the, Ar- the Argentinian economy on the United States dollar. And this is creating speculation that he may have been, that this election may have been manipulated in his favor because, well, the leftist socialist movement in the West is kind of stalling out, in, in my opinion. There's these lawsuits that are coming. I mean, suddenly it seems that liberty-loving Westerners are growing a spine and actually starting to push back against, but, but, but what power does the average citizen actually have against this kind of, against things like global military intelligence, the CIA and, and MI6 and any number of, I mean, because they have what's referred to as the five eyes, which are the intelligence agencies in, uh, what is it? I think it's Britain, the U.S., Canada, Australia, and I'm, I'm forgetting the fifth one. But the point of this friendly relationship between these intelligence agencies is that they will spy on the citizens of these other friendly countries because in most cases, it's illegal for American intelligence to spy on Americans. That doesn't mean that they don't do it. But that's this relationship. And now with, with the current state of the justice system in the United States, everyone seems to be terrified of these intelligence agencies and, and the law enforcement agencies like the FBI because it's been on display for the last three years that this department of justice is so corrupt that they are willing to completely ruin people for their own political gain to position themselves politically to, I, I, I don't know what, I don't know what the end game is. I don't really like to think about it, honestly, 
because it only ends in tragedy in my own mind. So I'm not going to believe that Javier Millet is an installed president, you know, in, no, installed by, by the CIA or something like that, because it hurts my spirit. And there's other, there's other evidence pointing to, I mean, it's just like, don't you just feel it in the air? Like what, I mean, the most, unfortunately, the most easily identifiable thing in our culture is how goddamn expensive everything is to the point where you like, you just can't, you can't forget. But aside from that, I mean, what's, where's the momentum? It doesn't seem, it, it, it seems like the momentum, like we've, we've been barreling towards this new world order for the last three years, it's, it seems. And it suddenly feels like the brakes are being put on almost and almost like we're stalling out. And we have Javier Malay elected president in, in Argentina, a uh, yeah. uh, big time libertarian who wants to totally slash government. Let's watch this video. Ministry of Sports and Tourism, out. Ministry of Culture, out. Ministry of the Environment and Sustainable Development, afuera. Ministry of Women's Gender and Diversity, afuera. Ministry of Public Works, afuera. Even if you resist. Ministry of Science and Technology, afuera. Afuera, Ministry of Education, afuera, Ministry of Transport, out, Health, out, Ministry of Social Development, the thievery of politics is over, long live damn liberty, oh, he is the man, God, he's the man, and this is, I mean, this is what the people want, this is what people want. Yeah, and you, you know it's what, what the people want because there's no, there's no protests. There's nobody saying, you know, what's going on. And if anything, he is uncontrollable. Like, how is anyone going to put him there or control him? He is completely and utterly in, 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 insane. He listens to his dogs. That's the only people that control him. <laughs> so it's, it's incredibly cool. Oh, yes. It's so good. He listens to his dogs and he carries a chainsaw. And that's an excellent point. I love it. Nobody's protesting. Nobody's protesting. When Joe Biden gets elected, uh, a million people protest. And then, and, and, and then you turn around and you see that the corrupt Justice Department of the illegitimately, in my opinion, elected regime is now throwing all of those protesters in prison. And the, there's, there's new tapes that have come out that the, the Newly elected Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, made good on his promise to release all 44,000 hours of the footage uh, of, around the Capitol on January 6th. But it's essentially only confirmed what we've known, what, what, what the people oh, yeah. paying attention have known the whole time, is that it was very orchestrated, very agitated. There ha- have been, um, you know what, I need to, I need to find this clip. He said he was communicating with his FBI handler while people were entering the U.S. Capitol. Can you confirm 
that the FBI had that sort of engagement with your own agents embedded within to the crowd on January 6th. If you are asking whether the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and or agents, the answer is emphatically You're saying not. no. No. You're saying So this is Clay Higgins, the representative from Louisiana, talking to Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI. And no, not okay. violence orchestrated Let's by FBI on. sources or agents. Are you familiar with... with you know what a ghost vehicle is? Director, director of the FBI certainly should. You know what a ghost bus is? A ghost bus? Ghost bus. I'm not sure I've used that term before. Okay. Well, it's pretty common in, in law enforcement. It's a, it's a vehicle that's, that's used for secret purposes. It's painted over. These two buses in the middle here. They were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th, 0500. I have all this evidence. I'm showing you a tip of this iceberg. Mr. Chairman. These two buses are painted completely white. Point of order. Point of order. Sure. Just run over the time. I understand, but you'll recall that Ms. Jackson Lee's been allowed to go two minutes before. I've been very fair in letting people finish their questioning throughout my tenure as chairman, and I'll continue to be fair on that regard. Isn't it interesting that as soon as this guy starts to bring up evidence that the federal government, or I should say the federal justice department, because we have to remember that the, the federal government was still under Trump at this time. But we also need to understand how many people were working behind the scenes, how many heads of agencies and bureaucracies were working behind the scenes to yeah, disrupt his ability to accomplish anything. And there's even, I mean, there, there were stories, yeah. there were people that went on the record with journalists saying, you know, in interviews, Oh yeah, we would just take that stuff off of his desk. We wouldn't tell him about this. I mean, that's, that's treasonous behavior, but it's, it's yeah. celebrated by the ruling class. Uh, regardless of who's in power as well, like, you know, people in government and government is a large entity are going to cover their own backs and the people that, you know, have dirt on them. So, you know, whether it's Biden, Trump, Obama, Bush, Cheney, whatever the hell, you know, they are going to look after themselves, number, number one. And they'll throw anyone under the bus that they need to to, uh, to protect their, their own interests. Let's see if there's anything else worth. So, so this, as soon as the, as soon as the issue arises, a Democrat speaks up and says, uh, oh, hey, uh, he's gone over his time to the chairman who then says, well, what are you talking about? I've been very fair about allocating time evenly, even when the speaker runs over. But it's it, it, the point. The reason the guy is bringing it up is not because he's gone over his time. It's because he's exposing the, the Justice Department's involvement in basically the, the, the final death now of the coup that was waged against Donald Trump's presidency after the, the 2020 election to, to obstruct any kind of investigations. But mainly, I, I think the main purpose of the, the incitement of the January 6th insurrection or riot or protest, whatever you want to call it, depending on what side of the aisle you like to sit on, was to prevent any 
contest during the counting and the certification of the votes because there was this controversy. That, and and there's, there's actually a legal pathway to protest elections, which Donald Trump followed. And long story short, inciting, facilitating, encouraging the January 6th protests and, and you know, violent events served to sort of disallow any sort of arguments being made because now they're under duress. Now they have to evacuate. Now they've lost four hours of the ability. You know, it's, it's also now it's a state of emergency in the Capitol. So there's no time for debate. We have to certify these elections and ram the Joe Biden administration down the throats of the American public. Because I don't personally believe that he was elected legitimately. But let's return to the, the last little bit of Clay Higgins here. But I will make a note to the members, if you could stay as close within your time as possible, we have a lot of people that want to ask these gentlemen questions. So with that, the gentleman yields. But uh, your, your point, I've been very fair in this, Mr. Ivey, uh, with everybody on this side of the aisle just as much. I don't think I accuse you of being unfair, Mr. Chairman. Uh, you're, you're making a point. Order. Okay, thank you. I'm just trying to disrupt. Uh, Prick. Now recognize Mr. May I close this, this statement? Uh, Mr. No, Mr. no I, I, think, I think your time is expired, Mr. I note that, that other members across the aisle have been, been granted time, and I object. <laughs> and here we Welcome go. What, my, a, what a circus. What a fucking circus. This is a very significant hearing, Mr. Chairman. And these buses are nefarious like in this? nature like our and were filled way better. with FBI informants dressed as Trump supporters. You, and you, deployed onto our capital on January 6th. You made, your day you is your, coming, Mr. Your point, Mr. Uh, and and it, it's, it's all but been proven. I mean, there's this, this January 6th committee <clears throat> that was created to whatever, to create a narrative about what happened. They had access to all of this footage and they cut and pasted all of the worst out of context events that happened to spin a narrative of violent insurrection by far right extremists. And they ruined people's lives. They ruined hundreds of people's lives. People that went to the Capitol hours after anything had happened, walked into doors that were propped open, no barricades, no signs. And now the Justice Department is going after them because they happen to be wearing a Make America Great Again hat. This is the political persecution of the opposition. And, but people are waking up. And it's just as Clay Higgins said, Mr. Ray, your time will come. And I, I, I really, really want to believe that that's true because yeah, of sure of course the regime in whichever country wants to squash opposition of course yeah and i unfortunately i mean, I, I don't think we're ever going to get the whole story i don't think so either i mean this 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 walks right into you know what's happening in spain now 
you know, the the government has decided on a very risky coalition with some other parties just to try and keep the opposition at bay. So now I want you um, to explain because this is, I mean, even for me, this is a little bit foggy. Okay. Spain now Spain had an election and the right wing party won. Okay. The election, right? How is it? So, so they, they, they talk about coalition governments and, and you, you have a similar situation in, in, in the UK, right? You have a similar political system to Spain. Um, yeah, we, we have a, yeah, it's, yeah. So similar, af- so similar, after the election, they, they have a constitution. So, so they have an election and, and they're electing, uh, MPs, right? Yeah. They're electing whatever they have. They're in the Spanish parliament or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they elect the, the, the people elect the MPs and then the MPs elect the prime minister, right? Uh, yes, they, they decide who the leader of the party is, and then the leader of the party creates government. That's how it works in the UK anyways. And when you say create government, you mean like assembling a cabinet? That's right, yeah. Okay. So, Pedro Sanchez, he, now he was the, I mean, he's the current prime minister, but he was also the prime minister that, quote, lost, correct? Yes. So instead of actually giving up his power, Pedro Sanchez, leftist scumbag, in my opinion, allegedly, reportedly, (laughs) he goes and cuts deals with these Catalan separatists so that they will vote for him to be prime minister. And this is something that he said he would not do. But in order to keep his power, he's done it anyway. And 170,000 people have taken to the streets in Spain to protest this bullshit. How do you think it yeah, plays out? Um, well, I mean, I think what, what, pe- what the, the Spaniards are worried about is this gives some kind of political validation to what the Catalan separatists want. Of course, years ago, there was the controversial um, referendum that those people held in Catalan to become independent from the rest of Spain, um, which ended in large riots and police crackdowns and all kinds of things. And and most Spaniards believed that, you know, Catalonia is part of Spain and we want to keep it. And so for now, it their government to to be in bed with the same people that they almost went to war with to right. keep Catalonia, it seems like a massive stab in the back. Well, because um, they had I completely this, understand why. They they had this referendum in, in twenty seventeen to and and it, Illegally, by the way, uh, basically local government in, in Catalonia said, uh, we want to be our own country, um, against the constitution, against judicial rulings. Uh, they, they broke the law grossly and were facing the consequences of their actions. (laughs) So. 
in order to keep his power, Pedro Sanchez says, uh, we'll give amnesty to you Catalan separatists. And uh, damn what I said previously to, to the constituency and damn the consequences. I'm going to do all of this anyway because I have a thirst for power that overrides any sort of morality. And people are pissed. Oh, yeah, they're super pissed, you know, and Spanish people are very emotional. So you can imagine that this is not going well. And it doesn't help that Portugal is going through a lot of corruption problems as well. And they're they're really close to them. So that that region right now is is uh, is having an interesting political time currently. Well, the most interesting thing that I found through digging into all of this information. Is something called. The Open Government Partnership. Apparently, according to my readings, the Open Government Partnership is some mysterious group that makes deals with local governments or, or just smaller governments, I would imagine, in the United States. They work more on a state level. But they go to these local government officials to earn commitments from these governments to reach goals in, well, why don't you take a guess at to what some of these goals are that the Open Government Partnership wants to achieve? I bet you're going to get it on the first try. Um, God, I mean, it could be so many things, to be honest. You're right. Um, I mean, oh, wow. You know, obviously mass surveillance is probably one of them, right? Not openly, but I would agree with you. According to their website. Oh, according to their website. Um, inclusivity. Boom. And, and, and anything else? Well, um, I'll save you. I'll save okay. you. Yeah, thanks. It's all the typical leftist bullshit that you would expect. Now, now, here's the thing. I would, ordinarily, my political beliefs, which, for all intents and purposes, don't exist, it would be something like, hey, uh, you know, libertad, go for it, separate. Make your own, you know, power to the people. Uh, kill Whitey. Uh, what, what's, you know, any, any of those other uh, anti-government, pro-liberty statements would go. But when I start, I start digging into the leadership of, of Catalonia and I realize that they're making backdoor deals with crazy leftist organizations that are funded by George Soros. And this is, this is where I started looking at the funding of this open government partnership organization. And it's, they, they get direct funding from the Open Society Foundation, which is, you know, George Soros's sort of flagship NGO. But also, and this is, I, I, I love getting into the weeds on this kind of research 
unfortunately, it usually winds up in a dead end. But I also learned about this, uh, another NGO or maybe loosely associated with the government of Sweden called SIDA. They contributed $64 million over the last, oh, I'm drawing a blank now, over the last, I think, three years to this open government partnership. But they're another organization that takes donations in the millions from all of these. Like you, you start digging in and you realize it's a massive web of donations from so this this swedish organization contributes 64 million dollars to the open government partnership but then they also get millions of dollars of donations from other organizations who get millions of dollars in donations from other organizations creating this convoluted web of of money trails that won't ever lead back to any specific individuals. But all I really need to know, and in my opinion, all you really need to know, is that it is another mysterious dark money organization that is pushing millions of dollars into disrupting the West and creating chaos. So unfortunately, I can't be on the side of, of the Catalan separatists because I feel like the, the, the whole motivation behind this effort to secede from Spain and ingratiate themselves to China and the rest of the EU is, is just the, the pipe dream of some shit leftists that fancy themselves the new president of Catalonia when this is all said and done. What's yeah, your, sure. where, where, where do you stand on the whole secession thing? Well, look, you know, our country, the UK, has had many, you know, referendums of, of extreme importance. You know, one of them was the Scottish independence referendum. Um, another one was obviously the Brexit referendum. And, and these have all been done through proper channels. And then there's been an answer. And, and that's the answer of that. But, you know, in Spain... They decided to do it differently. When they didn't get the approval to do the referendum, they just decided to do it anyways. And so that's why it's so heated. That's why it's so um, so different. You know, and I, I totally believe, look, if you want to do a referendum, make it legit and get the answer that you like, and then you can move on from there. But since they've done it in the way that they've done it, it's be so much more militarized. It's become so much more radicalized uh, in that because then you have people that either recognize or don't recognize the referendum and it becomes it becomes less about the overall outcome of the referendum and more about the process and how that got done and who was involved and it's just such a mess so however you feel about whether they should be independent or not the process in which they undertook to do that was completely wrong um, and illegal in spanish law and that's why a lot of the main leaders actually had to flee the uh, their their country um, so it's, it's, it's very sad. And ultimately, they have killed any prospect of being independent now. Um, because whenever someone speaks about independence now, they're, they're only going to think of what happened in 2017. Um, and to many people, that might be very frustrating. But to them, I say, well, you should have done it in the right channel. You should have done it in the right way. You know, Spain is not particularly a very corrupt or 
you know, broken nation. So there's no reason why you, you couldn't have a, a normal process of government to enact that policy. And as I said, I would, I would generally support the independence of, of anybody that wants to be independent. I mean, I, I think we should all be independent. Yeah, but, of course. If, if the majority of the population want to be independent, then, then, they, then they should be. You know, as much as I hate the Brexit situation we're in, and had I been old enough to vote, I would have voted against it. Um, do you think? But I have to accept the fact that, you know, we are independent and we've got to somehow make it work. Or maybe in the future we'll rejoin after another referendum, you know, but it's, it's up to us. Do you think if, if you could... Uh, entertain my conspiracy theories do you think that brexit was an effort to destabilize the west um i don't know about the west because if anything it hurts us more than it hurts anyone else um you know if 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 we were talking about nafta uh, then, then sure. Or if we were talking about, you know, a lot of cu- countries simultaneously wanting to leave the EU, then sure. But well, I'm just, I'm, I'm most curious because Brexit was a product of the right, correct? It was a, yeah, it was a product of, yeah, I would say the right, yeah, sure. But it seems it, it. I mean, it was. You would agree that it's has been very disruptive. I would say it's been very disruptive. Yes, I would say so. And so we have, <clears throat> we have, I mean, Brexit. We were just talking about it. We have uh, the situation with Ukraine and, and, and Donbass and Donetsk and, and those areas that, that at least it has been claimed they wanted to secede from Ukraine and join Russia. Then there was the, the referendum in Australia to not not so much geographically separate but another another wedge of division between populations which i is really i mean and now it's it's unfolding again in uh Israel and Gaza where more barrier or more borders are are going to be redrawn or or maybe not that's a, a, at least the effort and to me it it paints a very disturbing picture because whenever I think about this stuff, whenever I hear anybody talk about a peaceful divorce in the United States, they talk about how polarized we are. And, you know, the elections are always 51 to 49 and uh, which I think is a fabrication just personally. But I feel like this all is painting a bigger picture of an effort by the left to destabilize the right or, and, and, you know, throw, throw governments and, and geographical locations into that if you want to. But what do you, what do you make of it? I mean, divide and conquer is, is a very, uh, well-known, you know, military tactic. And even Osama bin Laden said, uh, if he had his way, he would break the United States up into 50 separate countries because that's going to make us weaker as a nation. And, and I want to believe that the Spaniards 
have identified that this is an effort being made by, you know, their enemies to destabilize and weaken them. And, and that's why they've taken to the streets in the hundreds of thousands to protest what's going on, not just because their new prime minister did a really scummy thing, but because he is weakening their country. And it's not just happening in Spain. It's happening all across the world. It's happening, you know, whether you're in the West or in the East or somewhere in the middle, it, it, it's happening as much as uh, in, the, in the case of the UK, as I would absolutely love it if um, it wasn't uh, us, if it was some sort of third party power that was, you know, simultaneously orchestrating things. And at least there was someone else to blame. But I think in the case of the UK, a lot of our issues are self-inflicted. Um, and a lot of them are completely avoidable and foreseeable. Uh, so I think in the case of the UK, the, the argument to be made about like foreign powers interfering is, is it's just so difficult because our government has so much transparency. And therefore, if bad things happen, usually it's because there are incompetent people at the top. And you can see in our history, even in the last two years, I mean, the turnover we have in our cabinet officials and even in the top echelons of government, the prime minister has just been outrageous. So, you know, our destabilization has been partly because we have great political uh, instability. And so how can you expect the UK to be stable while we have really unstable um, politicians? That, that's just the reality. You can make that you know, distinction in, in the EU. The EU is a larger block with a much greater uh, you know, attack plane for you know, foreign powers. That might be Russia, that might be China, that might be other players where they're more susceptible to global markets as well as they might have um, the European Parliament that might have you know, some sway and some lobbying and things like that. You know, we've seen Germany is having a really tough time because they're trying to get off Russian oil. And of course, it's very difficult for them. Um, France is having a tough time as well. Uh, so I think this, this whole destabilization is, is really because we're having an economic downturn. And whenever we have an economic downturn, I think politicians become more desperate and they try things and they want to become more populist because people are wanting an answer they're going why is this bad why have you done this and they're afraid they're not going to get re-elected right exactly so i think that's why you're seeing a lot of these sort of inherent sort of figures come out it's similar in in a way to javier malay um but obviously in the west in a lot in a lot more uh let's say civilized terms um but i think whenever you get uh economic downturns like we're going through now you do get a lot more instability in politics um and you do get situations where people start to look for answers and they go this can't possibly be us doing this this has to be somebody else it has to be another country doing this to us has to be this that, and the other i think sometimes it's hard especially for the people in the uk that are very proud i think it's especially hard for us to go we have done this to ourselves in the, you know, in the case of Brexit, you know, it's very hard for people to wrap their head around the fact that what they voted for has actually hurt them personally in their yeah, personal yeah. lives. And they would rather blame somebody else or blame the EU or blame China or blame the U S or whoever they think is responsible for 
something that has gone up in price or that it's harder to trade with now. And I think it's, you know, the same goes for, you know, people worried about like the BRICS or, you know, in China, it's, it's very similar. I mean, I mean, now with Javier Malay going into Argentina and they, Argentina was just formally invited into the BRICS and Javier is most definitely going to say no. So that's going to be a real blow to China as well as a massive blow to um, Brazil. And so I think Javier Malay poses an extremely destabilizing force uh, for the for that BRICS alliance down in uh, South America, and is a huge win for uh, U.S. aligned countries as well as European aligned countries, um, as he wants to uh, get the country on a better footing. Um, and in the case of Spain, you have to go about it this way, like. Again, this is a very unstable government, and it's held together with very radical sort of people. It's not like the Polish election. The Polish election is a coalition, but a coalition of fairly, uh, you know, moderate sort of things. And it was done very, um, it was very agreeable. There was no protest. There was no nothing. Right. And people are Whereas, commenting on the strength of the Polish government. I mean, that's that's what yeah, I'm getting. Yeah, it's 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 extremely good. That's how a coalition should be done. Um, and I 100% love coalitions. I think the the problem with the Spanish one is that it's basically one giant party and then a few other like really small radical ones, and that's always going to be really interesting. Um, I think it should be it if it wasn't you know the incumbent president running it, it would be it would be better. Um, I do believe still that coalitions are better for just overall representation. Um, I don't believe there'll be a, a new referendum or anything like that. Um, but it, it remains to be seen how well that government is going to um, function, uh, considering the fact that their overall policies are not really aligned. So we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see. You know, the world is in a really bad situation economically, as I keep saying. And so anytime that happens, you're going to find that politics follows that, that downturn as well. Well said. Well said. Visit Vox404.com. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and please share it. Please, please share it. We're, we're entering election season and uh, the, the season of suppression against uh, dissenting viewpoints or even alternate viewpoints. Uh, follow me on X slash Twitter at Earthbox. And you can follow my co-hosts at 404missing underscore link. I would also like to invite you to our Discord channel. Just send me an email, therealearthvox at protonmail.com. Thanks for listening again uh, this week. I'm going to be back in the UK next week, so my audio quality will be a lot better. Um, I want to thank you for putting up with the sort of half half-assed quality of, of my <laughs> mic in the last couple of weeks. and uh, But I think we've covered some really, really, really good content in the last uh, couple of episodes, so I highly recommend you go and listen to them next. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing uh, the next one next week. I'll see you soon. All right, buddy. Have a safe trip. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>